Welcome to episode four of the NRL Corona Positives podcast. There is plenty to get excited about as the NRL eyes are returned after it was stopped due to the coronavirus pandemic almost a month ago. I'm Tony Solano having a corona, the beer, not the virus, with Mitch Ferugia as we look at the bright side of the game in turmoil. How are you, Mitch? Good, thanks, Tony. Another big week. Obviously, no NRL. We are really missing it, but a lot of talk off the field and a lot to get excited about. Yes, cheers. Cheers. Let us know how Uva fans are staying positive in this crisis by connecting with us on our social channels at NRL Corona Positives on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you'd like to send us an email, nrlcoronapositives at gmail.com is the place to do that. We'll read the best ones on air, which will be exciting. In preparation for this show, I did something I've been doing a lot recently. I watched this film. Actually, you were the one who got me onto this. I watched the Netflix special, Sunderland to I Die. So it's essentially about the Sunderland Football Club, the English football club, from a working class town who are relocated from the top league in England. What did you make of it, Mitch? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's pretty good. It gives you a bit of an insight. And only most of the time we see clubs sort of from the front end, but this focuses it really on the back end and they are obviously a struggling club. So you get to see how the money is managed and how the CEOs and the board members actually work in with the club and the really tough decisions that are made. And also getting a fan's perspective. Uh, I know the fans in the show are pretty disappointed uh, with the results and everything that goes on, but it's good to get that sort of idea of how the club really ticks. Exactly right. And of course, I watch these movies pretty much because they're so different to rugby league. They've got nothing to do with rugby league, but I just try and draw these comparisons to the struggles of the NRL at the moment. So what I did was I had a look at the doco and I found the similarities were very much that the teams and the NRL game is very working class. The NRL is, of course, a very working class game, very similar to Sunderland, very low socioeconomic part of England. You know, the team is the centre of the town. So without the game, there's no town. People cry, there's plenty of emotion. Of course, Sunderland were absolutely awful for a couple of those years as well. So we did see a lot of tribalism, anger, frustration from the fans. So I thought the emotion was actually captured really well in this documentary. I'm just thinking about those fans over in England to see how they're coping with no English Premier League or no football championship at all, Mitch. They'd be wrecks at the moment. Yeah, they would be. I mean, it's pretty much a part of the culture, as is NRL uh, here. So it would be absolutely crazy to not have sport going on. I think it is around the world. A lot of sports fans are going stir crazy. Enough of that doom and gloom. Enough of those movies. We're focusing on the positives. This podcast is called NRL Corona Positives Podcast. So we look at the big positives from this week. So let's start with you, Mitch. What was your big positive this week that you found? Yeah, so mine has to do, again, with uh, focusing in on the NRL players and the NRL stars. Don't know if you saw this video, but Ryan Madison and Alex Twall, Tigers and Eels players, obviously it was meant to be the big Easter Monday clash, uh, which has been, I think, since 2015. So it's been um, pretty much becoming, starting to become a tradition now that the Tigers and the Eels always play each other. Uh, also the Bulldogs and the Rabbitohs. There are a couple of Easter fixtures, but uh, both these guys went on and made quite an entertaining video. It showed them uh, walking out of their cars with their bags on and it, as if it was a game day. Uh, there was a bit of music and commentary in the background. They went into the sheds, uh, as you'd like to call it. They walked out in their jerseys 
But instead of playing footy, they sat down to play Monopoly, Tony. Oh, wow. There you go. Now, that's a very, very interesting take. And it's really good that the players are getting creative. We've spoken about this a couple of times on this show about Monopoly. I played Monopoly with my girlfriend earlier in the week, Mitch. It uh, didn't go my way. Bought a fair <laughs> few houses, but eventually I ended up uh, losing all my money. Good to see that the guys, of course, they were former teammates, but still very good friends. So exciting to see that the players are making the most of this tough time. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, a lot of the players are doing things like this, but they're also keeping fit with their home gyms um, throughout the week. A lot of the stories have shown off um, the home gyms and home setups um, that have been going on, which is really good to see as the NRL eyes a date, which will potentially be very soon. And that's right. And it's great to see that NRL still being talked about, i.e. us, while the game isn't on, which we'll speak about a little bit later. But my first positive is another quite serious one. And it is that the New South Wales government particularly isn't ruling out the NRL's proposed return date. So, of course, the NRL last week came out and said, OK, let's put it on the table. May 28 is when we want to come back and play our first game after the coronavirus pandemic. Now, a lot of people thought, OK, who have they consulted? What have they said? What do they need to do to get that up and running? So the New South Wales government was a bit... Uh, distant the first couple of days, but it's good to see that no one's actually said no, they can't do it. So, for example, Prime Minister Scott Morrison and the Deputy Health Officer, they didn't say no. They said that they've heard the NRL is trying to make its way back and they're not going to stand in its way. But, of course, their front of line was that they must obey the safety protocols, which the NRL's been stating the whole time that they're looking to do. So that's ticking that box. The police commissioner, Mick Fuller, signed off on a note that accepted the NRL would be able to return if the right safety protocols were followed. So that's that again. But also Mick Fuller, not just the New South Wales uh, police commissioner, he's also the state emergency uh, head as well for state emergency events. He's the one who oversees them and signs off on them. So that's two ticks. Then we had Deputy Premier John Barillaro said that the NRL is the tonic the game needs right now. So there's no guesses for which side of the fence he's on. He's very keen for the NRL to come back. Mitch, if they do pass the safety protocols, I think the government's actually starting to think, hang on, the public, whether it be just in New South Wales or across Australia, they've been really good and followed all those protocols, but they're starting to get a bit restless. So now that the government can't lift these laws as quickly as people would like, they're starting to be afraid that people are going to grow frustrated and start breaking these rules so that that means that their modelling and their projections on when this coronavirus will stop may increase. So if they bring back the NRL, this may be an opportunity to settle down the viewers and settle down the public that even though we still can't go out and we can't gather, etc., there's still entertainment on and there's still things we love and we can be connected to. So I think that's where the government's sitting at the moment. Mind you, this is very much a New South Wales government view. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palachek has said that she's not going to lift the borders for her Queensland team. So what would happen in that instance is that Queensland teams like the Cowboys and the Broncos, they will need to go over and self-quarantine before they can actually play in this NRL's proposed hub, whether it be in Penrith or it be regional New South Wales, because I think we're quite confident now that the NRL will resume in one spot and it's looking like it's going to be New South Wales, not Queensland. So I think that's really promising that the government has not ruled out 
that the NRL could return on May 28. Mitch, I'm, my fingers are crossed. I'm not sure that it still will. The government hasn't said no, but as we know, and the party line has been for so long, that information on this virus changes by the day. Of course, the cruise liner was a big reason why everything shut down very quickly and very suddenly. But now that that's starting to be a bit more maintained and the government's starting to get a grasp on the situation, that we could get footy in about six weeks. Yeah, we could. It's pretty incredible to think. And as you mentioned, day by day, everything seems to be changing. You don't know what's going to happen or what's going on. So uh, it would be very interesting if the NRL is brought back. Obviously, they haven't been really any no's from anyone except from uh, the Queensland Premier, as you mentioned. Uh, and it does make sense, obviously, for most of the teams to move to New South Wales because the majority of the competition is based in New South Wales. And I think uh, that ANZ model or potentially the Penrith model uh, would kind of work, maybe even spreading it out to three or four grounds. And then you play sort of two games a week at each ground. And uh, obviously the draw would need to be restructured, but it could be interesting. It is a lot earlier than was originally talked. I mean, it was first uh, looked at June uh, or even late into September. So do you think maybe this means it will be longer than a 15-round competition, Tony? It may well be, Mitch. We don't quite know at this stage. They're still working through that with the television broadcasters, which has been big news this week about Channel 9's response to how the NRL has gone about trying to get the competition back. Uh, So there's big meetings happening between the broadcasters, which is ultimately where all the money comes from. I think it's more a case of mentioning classic negotiations. The NRL says May 28th, knowing that they're probably going to get some pushback for that. So even though they say May 28th, maybe Channel 9 or Fox Sports will say, hang on, no, we want June 4. And then the NRL saying, okay, fine, June 4. But realistically, they knew it was going to be June 4 the whole time. Yeah. So I think that's why they go super early knowing that they won't get that date and then they get pushed back to a time that really suits the model that they want, which looks like it's going to be uh, the 13 games remaining in the competition so everyone plays each other once. I wanted to go into my next positive niche from this week just because you've got a special one that we're going to spend some time on. But my last positive was how good is the rugby league legends that are coming out and naming their greatest ever list? I think this really sparks what the NRL needs right now, which is passion and debate. Because, of course, the NRL fans at the moment are craving. They don't have the games. They can't argue with NRL referees. They can't argue with results. They can't get excited about their teams winning. Or I know secretly, Mitch, that the people that hate when their teams lose secretly love hating when their teams lose. It gives them something to do on the weekend. So I think this has been really good. Andrew Johns and a few others have come out and named their greatest lists ever. Of course, I saw Mal Meninga, the Canberra Raiders side that he named is absolutely stacked. Some of the names there, Belcher. Even Josh Papali got a run in that one as well. Josh Hodson, of course, on the bench. But of course, you think Brad Clyde, Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly, Mitch, I could go all day. It's a phenomenal team. But what I'm finding, Mitch, and I wanted to discuss with you about this, is these rugby league legends who would walk into any of their greatest teams of their clubs, they're leaving themselves out. For example, Nathan Highmarsh, Sam Burgess and Mal Meninga all left themselves out of the greatest ever teams from their club. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's polite or do you think that's, it's just them being too modest? Because 
let's be let's be honest. The greatest ever Raiders team, if it doesn't feature Mal Meninga, it's not the greatest. Yeah, I think maybe they're just being polite on that sense, uh, not wanting to like sort of put themselves in there, considering that they're probably going off who they've played with and who they've seen, uh, wanting to make it like impartial and just um, purely that what their thoughts are or not really thinking about themselves um, when they're making it. Um, so I think that's probably the reason why. And I think you're right. If you were to look at their sides, you would probably fit all of those three players. You'd slip them uh, in somewhere uh, into the greatest sides because they have been NRL stalwarts. We obviously have had a lot of talk about the NRL season getting back underway. And there have also been discussions about the State of Origin series potentially being moved to the end of the year or being held around the start of June. In light of this, Tony, my question to you is, who would you pick on round one and two form for both the Origin sides? So for this week, we'll go through our selected Blues squads. I just love how the season stopped. We're not getting any rugby league, but we've managed to turn this into an Origin chat, which I really enjoy. Origins read its head and it's come to the fore because we know that rugby league without state of origin isn't really rugby league at all. So I'll go through my team first. So for me, I've got at fullback James Tedesco. On the wings, Josh Adokar and Nick Kotrick. The centres, Tom Trebojevic and Jack Whiten. 5'8", Luke Keary. Halfback is Mitchell Moses, so that'll be definitely a discussion point. Front row, Payne Haas, Damian Cook and David Klemmer. The back row is Boyd Cordner, the captain, Cameron Murray and Jake Trevojevic. On the bench, Tyson Frizzell, Katoni Stads, who I want to speak about, Dale Finucan and Wade Graham. My 18th man is Appy Corusel. Okay, Mitch, I'm open for questions. What did you think? Yeah, I think it was, it's a pretty good team um, overall. I noticed you changed a couple of those forwards uh, from earlier in the week. <laughs> it was a bit like you, Mitch. I, I copied your homework, I think. I saw your team and I'm like, oh, no, I forgot, I forgot a couple of people. But I just wanted to speak about uh, a couple of sections I made. Uh, people will say, oh, Luke Curie, he didn't feature last year. But, of course, he had those concussion injuries last year. So he wasn't able to be selected. And let's be honest, Mitch, I know you said the first two games of this year, but... Well, this man's won two premierships in a row and a grand final the last three years. So uh, very hard to leave him out. Uh, People will say, why isn't Nathan Cleary and Jack White in there? The reason I picked my halfback, Mitchell Moses, is I think that Mitchell Moses has a bit more flair than Nathan Cleary. And I think that these two players, points can come from them, whereas the other two, uh, Cleary and Jack White, they're a lot more... Not traditional, but they're very reserved and they're more ball runners rather than ball players. So I think with Luke Curie and Mitchell Moses, you get a fair bit more options in attack. And of course, Luke Curie's combination with Boyd Cordner has been sensational for the Roosters for a number of years. Of course, I haven't picked Latrell Mitchell. On the bench, if I'd have to say who's probably been the best player in the NRL in the first two weeks, I think it's actually been Tony Staggs. I think he's been excellent for the Broncos. Leading the competitions in tries. Of course, he's got a hat-trick against the Cowboys. And he's also led the team in line breaks. But him 10 metres out from the try line, Mitch, forget about it. You're not going to stop him. He's awkward to tackle. He's hard to tackle. And like many of the young fellas in Brisbane, he's definitely a star of the future. So I wouldn't probably start him in the centres because I think uh, Tom Trebojevic and Jack White have earned their strike. So that'd be the starting centres. But I'd definitely have Katoni Staggs on the bench 
55 minutes gone in the game, people getting tired. We need a game breaker. On comes Katoni Staggs and away go New South Wales. Uh, I'll read through my side now and we'll go through a few of the differences for each of the teams. So I've got James Tedesco at fullback, Josh Adekar and Blake Ferguson on the wings. I've got Tom Trebojevic and Nick Kotrick in the centres. Jack Whiten and Nathan Cleary are my halves, uh, which you alluded to a little bit before. Uh, and looking at my forwards, David Klemmer and Payne Haas, the props, Damian Cook at hooker, Tyson Frizzell, Victor Radley and Jake Trebojevic, uh, Jake Trebojevic at lock. And then number 14 and on the bench, Paul Vaughan, Wade Graham, Ryan Madison and Alex Twall. And my 18th man would be Ryan Pappenhausen. Looking at a couple of my forward choices, Victor Radley, I think uh, last year he was pretty close to getting a call-up um, if it wasn't for a couple of players that were in a little bit better form. Uh, but obviously in round two, he made 201 metres and 40 tackles, which is pretty much what he can do on, on his good day. Um, so I think he'd be a great player and um, he's played obviously with a few of the other um, boys in the squad. He was actually a victim of his versatility. So last year, Jake Friend was out for most of the year. So Victor Radley had to play hooker. And he was really good at hooker. But the problem was, Damian Cook's the best hooker in the game. So he couldn't really get a look in there. And he just wasn't playing back row enough. He was only playing back row in 15 to 20 minute spurts when uh, Verrills came on for the Roosters. So now that he's in his traditional back row role, he uh, definitely would look at some game time in a Blues jumper, I'm sure. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, and then also, I think Ryan Madison, his form in the past um, two rounds has been great as well. And looking at what he did last year at the Tigers, and he was the 18th man um, for two of the Blues games. So obviously, was in and around the camp. I think this would be a good year to maybe inject him into the squad. Alex Tall, I've also included uh, on the bench. I think he was really good. And he's been one of those players. He's very young still, uh, but like Payne Haas last year in game one, I think maybe if you insert him, it could be the point of difference um, when the when the sides are getting a bit tired. 246 metres in two rounds. Uh, and in round two, he made 59 tackles without missing one. Uh, 65 tackles in two rounds. So his work rate at the moment is up with Jake Jaboyevich. Um, Everyone loves a good origin bolter, Mitch. And that's exactly what Alex Twall would be, of course. Uh, Brad Fittler had him for Lebanon way back in the uh, 2017 Rugby League World Cup. So he knows what he's made of. Nice, honest kid. Of course, Parramatta Jr. as well came through the ranks. But he's really playing his best football while given an opportunity with the West Tigers. So that's all it really took. He's in the mix, as they say, Mitch. Yeah, he is in the mix, certainly. And now I think it's time to just go through uh, position by position and the ones that we have differences on. Just discuss uh, who we think could slot in where, who would maybe do a better job, look at experience, things like that. So looking at both of our squads, I know that in number four, you ha- I have Nick Kotrick and you have Jack Whiten. And number five, I have Blake Ferguson and you have Nick Kotrick. So obviously you would like to see Kotrick in the side, what do you think about Blake Ferguson? Uh, Blake Ferguson I do like, of course. He uh, played some really good uh, rugby league for Parramatta this season. I just thought I had to put Jack Whiteson in the centres because I wanted Luke Curie as my 5A. If that wasn't the case, I would have picked Luke Curie at 5A, which is why I'm, I wanted Whiteson and Luke Curie both in my starting side. 
So I just thought that Blake Ferguson probably offers the least in terms of, I think Nick Kotrick's leading the competition in line breaks to start this new season. And also uh, his kick returns and the way that he runs play, uh, he runs on plays two and three is probably a little bit better than Blake Ferguson. So that's why I'd probably lean towards Nick Kotrick. He's a big body, built low to the ground, hard to tackle. So, uh, and he's one of, he's young. He's obviously a lot younger than Blake Ferguson. But I, that's why I would probably put, I don't think Nick Kotrick is an origin centre just yet. I think he's still a winger, carting the ball up. And then there's more creative players like Jack Whiten and Tom Trebojevic to get one further in to create some magic. So I think with Blake Ferguson or Nick Kotrick, you wouldn't lose much with either, uh, whichever one you pick. But if it was for me, I'd probably go with Nick Kotrick. Yeah, I definitely think you're right there that you wouldn't lose a lot either way you do look at it because obviously Ferguson does have a lot of experience um, considering um, the amount of times he's played for the Blues and he's sort of been a good fallback option. I mean, he wasn't picked in game one last year but then was required uh, throughout the series. So potentially even if he missed game one, there was a few injuries, then you'd probably still have him as your number one to come in um, looking next at our halves, obviously I've got Jack Wyden and Nathan Cleary and you've got uh, Luke Keary and Mitchell Moses. It's pretty interesting. I mean, I wanted Luke Keary in my side and I just think after round one and two, not that he didn't show enough, but I really liked what I saw from Nathan Cleary. Um, he was really impressive. He's starting to steer around that Panther side and show that leadership, which probably has been missing in the reason that they missed finals last year. They were with a lack of direction. And it was sort of he was competing, um, I think, with James Maloney, whereas now he's got the reins and it showed he had two tri- tries and try assists and 100% goal kicking, which could also be important. Obviously, there's a couple of goal kickers in that side, but he would probably be the main one. I just think him and Jack Wyden would provide a little bit of flair. It was great in the first two rounds. Uh, and has been great since that grand final. And since last year, he's really just been on a great run. So I just feel like Jack Wyden would provide that little bit of spark. Nathan Cleary's kicking game um, could steer the Blues around. And he has been the preferred choice for the last uh, year and a half. So I'm not sure whether uh, Brad Fittler would like to move him around or sort of take him out. I know, I understand Mitchell Moses has been in really good form as well, but... I think that it would the first crack would potentially go to Cleary and then maybe be looked at Mitchell Moses. Yeah, so I th- I'm, I'm happy to concede, Mitch. I think um, Brad Fittler probably wouldn't go with two uh, debut halves in the one origin game. So that's why I think probably Mitchell Moses would miss out in that case. I think a more realistic option would be Luke Cleary and Nathan Cleary to be the two halves with Jack Whiten in the centres. But that's just me. I think, um, yeah, I think that correct. It's a bit more balanced. And once again, I think that uh, Roosters combination with Boyd Cordner, which we're going to speak about in a sec, I think that would really uh, please Brad Fittler because they've done it time and time again, season after season. All yeah. right, Mitch, who are we talking about next? Oh, I think we'll definitely go into um, the, the uh, forwards now. Uh, but yeah, I, I do agree with you there. And I think those three, if you can somehow fit them all into the team, I think you'd definitely be better off having Kiri there. I think he is ready. I think he was ready last year, as you mentioned, but just with those injuries, which are unfortunate, he couldn't get there. Um, but I think he would do 
pretty good on the Origin stage. Okay, time to go through our forward pack. So we've got Haas, Clemmer and Cook. We're all good there. I think uh, they're, they're pretty no-brainer choices. Um, you've gone for Cordner. I've gone for Tyson Frizzell and uh, Victor Radley. And you've gone for Cam Murray as well. So I just can't see at the moment Cordner being there. And I'm not sure if his match fitness potentially would be there if the NRL was to kick off straight away. I know he is the captain, um, but it worries me those niggly injuries he did have at the start of the year. Yeah, I think uh, Boyd Corden is one of the ones. Of course, he's Australian captain and New South Wales captain. They'll give him every chance to play. And I think if he is up to play, he will play. Uh, It'll be Boyd's call. It won't be um, the selector's call. Of course, they trust Boyd Cordner in telling them the truth. If he's not fit to play, Boyd won't play. But if he is fit to play, he will be there. So that's why I think Boyd Cordner, being there, done that for the state, Origin Series winning captain the last two years. I believe he'll definitely be in the side, as if Cameron Murray made his uh, international debut last year. Everyone has a really good opinion of him. Quick play the ball, uh, very agile, can play middle, can play edge. So Cameron Murray, for me, walks into the team uh, every day of the week. So that's why I think Cordner and Murray will definitely be there. And Jake Trevojevic. We don't really have to say anything. We've both got him. Reason why, he's a damn good player. And he's one of the best for New South Wales. So that's why I picked my back row. Uh, in terms of probably Victor Radler, I'd probably put on the bench rather than starting. I know he's probably better at the start. But I think coming in, overawed, big occasion... He's very good, you know, 55 minutes, 60 minutes into the game. He can come on, relax, players are a bit more tired, gives him a bit more freedom. He's a little man who's quick, so maybe he'd be better off uh, coming on from the bench role. Yeah, potentially. I do see it like that. And also would ease him into the game. Obviously, it would be his debut um, if he was to get a get a start. I'm just With Cameron Murray, obviously, I think he's a great player, but just looking at his start to the season, wasn't really impressed, I guess. Um, I mean, obviously, he had the form last year, but since he's made that positional switch uh, under Bar- Bennett's made that switch for him, um, I just I wasn't really impressed. I think he does need to move back maybe, Tony. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one. At the moment, the NRL coronavirus pandemic has stopped the game, but we're looking back at when the game was great. And this week, we are looking at great NRL match endings. So the one I want to start with is, oh, what an ending it was, the Rabbitohs and Roosters from back in round 19, 2012. So the way this one started was that the Bunnies were behind 22-12 in the 78th minute, Mitch. Two minutes to go. 10 points down. It's the dream scenario that almost no one ever pulls off. But after the 78th minute, a slick backline move from halfway, Chris McQueen steps inside, cuts inside, and draws the fullback, puts Nathan Merritt under the post. 22-18 after 79 minutes. It's not impossible, but it's very unlikely. So everyone's excited. Oh, my God, here we go. So then we kick off. With 50 seconds remaining in the game, it's 22-18. Kickoff caught by Sutton, who passes to Dave Taylor on the left. He draws away the winger. Away goes Chris McQueen down the sideline. He gets to halfway. Offloads to Nathan Merritt. Gets towards the 30-metre line. Passes to Isaac Luke. Now, Isaac Luke looks like he's just about to get tackled as the siren sounds. But as someone's wrapping around his legs, he throws a speculator out the back 10 metres from the try line bounces into the arms of Adam Reynolds 
who dives in and completes a 95-metre effort under the six, tries converted, Ravido's win at 24-22. And that brought on one of the most famous lines from commentator Warren Smith, who said, you can take me now, I've seen it all. <laughs> what a moment. Yeah, what a moment. What a great end to the match. Obviously, miracle win is definitely right. Uh, I've gone for the match in 2011 between the Raiders and the Dragons. Uh, the Raiders ended up winning this one, uh, but they did sit in a precarious position down one point with less than a minute to play after Jamie Soward had plotted over a 79th-minute field goal to hand the Dragons a lead. Raider Glenn Buttress collected the ball off a short Josh Dugan kickoff before Dugan eventually dived on a Josh McCrone grubber in the following play as the Raiders snatched victory from the jaws of defeat in the final seconds of the match. Canberra also clawed back from 18-6 to down at halftime to do so, so they really did have their work cut out for them. But in the end, Dugan as a Raider saved their day. Yeah, he most certainly did. What a game that was. I remember watching that one as well. It's just a look on some of those Dragons' faces. Of course, that was back when there was the hoodoo, where the Dragons just couldn't beat the Raiders at GIO Stadium. They eventually broke it, but boy, oh boy, what a night it was. The Dragons thought they were so close, but just couldn't get the job done against the Raiders. What a finish. Mitch, that is why the NRL is great, and we miss it so dearly. It's great to hear that we may get some footy as early as six weeks' time. So we will keep you posted on that one. And while the NRL isn't on, we're going to be on. But unfortunately, we're done for today. It's been a really good show. Plenty of great positive, plenty of great moments, Mitch. But that's where we say au revoir. Yeah, it certainly is. Four weeks or are down now, Tony. It has actually flown by a little bit. <laughs> it has, hasn't it? We've had plenty to talk about. We are finding positive, Mitch. Sometimes we're digging a lot deeper than other times. But uh, it's definitely been good just to put a positive spin on things. And I think that's what people want to hear right now. There's a lot of negativity, not just in NRL, but in all facets of life at the moment. So if we can have a bit of a laugh, have a bit of a reflection, have a bit of a great moment, then uh, we're doing ourselves a good, good service. Exactly. Thank you very much, Tony Slono. Make sure you follow our social channels, which are NRL Corona Positives on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And let us know your thoughts of the podcast down below. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Thank you very much, Tony Salerno. I'm Mitchell Ferrugia. Stay safe and keep looking for the positives. We'll see you next week.